Uh, last time I spoke, I spoke about gifting and uh, that you are a gift to the church. And I'm going to continue really speaking about that this morning <clears throat> out of the second half of Ephesians chapter 4. But just a, br a brief um, a r kind of summary of how we've got to this point. Um, a couple of, well, not how we've got to this point, but uh, just to give some context of, of what I want to say this morning. Um, last week, we went away for uh, the weekend with a group of men, which was really, really encouraging. I found it personally very encouraging. The whole theme was around courage and finding courage for your life. And we had various people speaking. Uh, Darwin spoke about uh, if you could do anything and you didn't have fear, what would that thing be? What, what, what would you choose to do if you weren't afraid in any way? Very, very challenging uh, thought. And we spent some time workshopping that. And then Michael Hunter, after that, spoke wonderfully challenging men to um, not, not only know God as Father for themselves, but then out of that place to minister to other people and to father people and mentor people outside of your own family, which was a wonderful challenge. How can we, how can we take the gifts that God has given us, what He's done in our hearts and lives, and share that with other people and uh, help young men be um, raised up into God's family? Very, very powerful. And then Kurbis. Uh, Chatted a little bit out of his own experience as a, as a sportsman, and and basically his his uh, his challenge was that he's seen people do courageous things on the sports field, but there are other things that we ordinary people do that are are just as courageous, like fighting sickness, like uh, picking yourself up after you've lost everything. About many acts of courage that ordinary people show every day, and we celebrated that as well. And uh, it was a, a fantastic, fantastic time uh, for me personally as well. I, I, I found it incredibly encouraging. Now, we, we're going to read this morning about Paul, who was also a great encourager and helped other people to find courage. And here we have Paul at the end of his life. He's in jail. He's in Rome. And he's been imprisoned there he, for all, all his life. He's been giving himself to see Jews come to faith. And so wherever Paul went, he would start in the synagogue in any given city, and he'd preach to the Jews, and he would try and show them this revelation of Christ as Messiah. And so he'd given him, that, himself to that mission all of his life. And here, towards the end of his life, he's in jail because um, on a visit to Jerusalem, he has this opportunity to preach to this vast crowd of people on the Temple Mount, and there's a riot that ensues afterwards, and basically he, get, he gets locked up in jail. And the dilemma that he faces, he says, he appeals and says, actually, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't just treat me like this. And so in the end, he's taken all the way back to Rome, from which he writes a number of letters to the churches that he's planted to encourage them and to help them and to remind them of some basic truths. And he writes this, this astounding letter to the Ephesian church from the Roman jail. And he reminds them of some very basic things. In the first three chapters, he reminds them of the amazing thing that God has done for them. Go and read the first three chapters of Ephesians if you're feeling discouraged. He talks about the great salvation that has been brought for us. He talks about the amazing revelation that God has given to His church in Christ Jesus. He talks all about the big picture stuff, all the great things, magnificent things that God has done for us in Jesus. 
And then from chapter 4 onwards, he gets a little bit more specific, and he says, okay, in the light of all of that, all the big thing that God has done for you, I've got some reminders for you, the little things in your own life that you need to kind of bring in line. Let me help you understand what you need to do and how you need to live. In the light of this great salvation, this magnificent thing that God has done for you in Jesus, in the light of that, therefore, I want to encourage you, let that flow out of your life in the following ways. And that's the next three chapters. Five and six. And so I want to pick up about Paul speaking about gifts. And uh, I spoke last time and, and, and said that Paul urges us to maintain, to keep the unity that we already have. Yes? We already have unity by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, there's no Jew, there's no slave, there's no free. All are one in Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is what God has done for you in Christ. This amazing unity that has brought you together. Now I urge you by the power of the Spirit to walk in that unity. Keep what God has given you. Yes? And so I want to encourage you in this church. I'm always thrilled to see people of different backgrounds come together. Because this is a picture of what the church should be. Many tribes, many people groups coming together, made one in Christ. And we maintain the unity that God has given us by the power of the Spirit as we walk together. This is the church. This is the power of the church. This is the amazing power of the bride of Christ. And so I see people from Sri Lanka and Nigeria and America and England and South Africa and Sweden and Brazil and Ghana and wherever else I can't see now. I'm just always... Greece. Let's not forget the Greeks. Sorry? Cyprus. Sorry. Cyprus. New Zealand. All one in Christ. All made one by the blood of Jesus that brings us together. And we, we have the privilege of living out the Ukraine as well, isn't it? Yes. We have this privilege of living out one body together, brought together by the power of the Spirit. And Paul urges us, he says, I want you to, by the power of the Spirit, maintain that unity. You don't have to create it. It's already there. Maintain it by walking by the Spirit. Yeah? And now he carries on. Oh, the, and the, the, the second thing I said was, uh, part of what Paul is saying is, after you've been saved, the magnificent thing, thing about salvation is that God actually has rescued you from darkness. And it, he, taught, he quotes Psalm 68, and he says, Jesus ascended to the heavens, and he descended uh, into the depths. And he's trying to say God rules over everything, and this, this creator, this infinite one who rules and reigns over everything, saves you out of darkness. And he says, now I want you to be a blessing, and he gives you back as a gift to his church to build his church. Man, that is magnificent. Whatever you are gifted to do, you can use that gifting to build his church, and that's what you should be doing. And so I, I follow um, things on Facebook to kind of see what people are doing with their lives, and it incredibly encourages me. I'm a preacher. This is what I get to do. But there are other people. Uh, I saw Darwin was in Denmark this week raising uh, money for a, a heart hospital in Ghana. How cool is that? People using their gifts to do what God has called them to do and to see something of the kingdom come. Murray and Eleanor run a great business in, in Potter's Bar. If you want the best burger you have ever eaten, go and, and, and eat their burgers. Something of the kingdom comes when we eat good food. Um, 
Whatever your gift is, you can use it to see something of the kingdom come. Whether you're working in London, whether you're teaching, whether you are a, a nurse, compassion motivates you, you can use these things to see something of God's kingdom come. And so now, I want to pick up on verse 11. Because Paul's talked about gifting in a very general sense, and now he's, he speaks about gifting a little bit more specifically, and he says this, And he, that is Jesus, gave apostles, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love this portion, as you can hear. Man, what a privilege to be part of this amazing body. And here Paul says, Jesus gives apostles. All right? We're going to look at these gifts this morning and, and try and understand what they mean. The crucial question to ask, obviously, is who is Paul talking about? Is he talking just about the original 12? Well, I don't think so. And there's been debates about this kind of stuff for many, many hundreds of years. My conviction is this from the Scripture, that he's not just talking about the first 12 apostles. He's talking about post-essential apostles. He's at the end of his life. He's looking back on his ministry. He's looking back at all that's gone before, and he's kind of reminding them, I want to remind you, this is what God has done for his church. He's given first apostles. Yes, the original 12, but he's including himself in that. People are apostles post the ascension of Christ, and simply this means those men and women that plant churches in the same way that Paul was used to reach cities and towns. He's talking about those people that, that, that use their gift to start something, to put the foundations in. You can always know when you're sitting under this kind of ministry that when the person is finished um, preaching, you know what to do. <laughs> you get some, some handles on foundations in your life. That's, that's, that's what it means to sit under someone with an apostolic anointing. Someone who's a foundation layer, builder, knows how to build the church, knows how to put the, the pieces together so the body can rise and function properly. They don't write Scripture like Paul did. They don't produce new doctrines, no, but they certainly preach the gospel and they reach new places for the kingdom of God. This is the apostolic anointing, and I do believe there are apostles today that we can enjoy the ministry of them. Secondly, uh, the heart of the apostle, what, is the, what motivates the apostle? Well, Paul tells us in, in, in uh, Colossians 1, he says this, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this ministry, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, I struggle with all the energy that powerfully works within me. 
This is what Paul is saying. This is what I've given my life to as an apostle. I want to see you mature in Christ. I want to see you be built up. I want to see the foundations go deep in your life that you stand strong, no longer a child, no longer tossed this way and that way. When someone says, what about this doctrine? You don't know, and you rush from this corner to that corner. No, you mature in Christ. You are a man, a woman in Christ that knows what they believe, that stands firm when everyone else is rocking and rolling. You are standing in Jesus. That's what Paul says. That's what I labor. I give myself with all my energy. I give myself to doing that so that that can happen in you. And boy, do we need those kind of Christians right now. All our energy laboring to see Christ formed in people. Oh, and don't get too serious or too passionate. Well, I am passionate about this and very serious about it. We need God's, God needs Christians to rise mature and strong right now. Our nation needs it. Let's labor together. Encouraging each other. Like we said on the men's week, a band of brothers. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter. Uh, I love that movie and Michael told me he was shot just over the, over the, sorry, I'm out of breath. Just over the road here, band of brothers was, was shot. And I, why do I love that movie? Because there's an Italian from, from Philadelphia. He's grown up selling pizzas, and there's a, there's, a, there's a farmer from the Midwest. And there's all these different kind of guys thrown together in this platoon, and they are on this, this mission, they are, they are together, and something happens within their hearts, and they, they're together, they're united, they aiming in the same direction, and something powerful happens when a bunch of people get together like that. That's what God is calling His church to. doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter. I don't care where you're from. I love where you're from. I love that there's so many different people with so many different backgrounds, but I do care where we're going. We're going to see the kingdom come. That's what, what we're aiming at. We're aiming at God's kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? So, that's why God has given apostles to help us to understand that. What does he say? He says, Jesus gives us prophets. And for me, prophecy is very simple. Prophecy is simply speaking the words that God gives us. And in the Old Testament, under the old uh, Mosaic law, the prophets really were the highest authority as spokesmen for God. They inspired, were inspired by the Holy Spirit in the most extraordinary ways. If you want to read some extraordinary stories of people's lives, go and look at the Old Testament prophets. But no one, not a lot of people put their hands up for this ministry, right? Because often the prophets were killed for what they said. So people didn't volunteer for the ministry of prophets. So we can see these lives, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Moses, David, Hosea, Daniel, Miriam, many others. Go and read them for yourself in the Old Testament. And, and we see this, these extraordinary people coming under the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking God's word to the nation to encourage them, to challenge them, to say, no, we're going in the wrong direction, and to bring them together so that God's purpose could be worked out. Extraordinary gift. In the New Testament, we see uh, the promise in um, Acts chapter 2. After the Holy Spirit is poured out, the, the, poured out, the, pro the promise is that all will prophesy, all can speak God's words. And that's why there's this reference to Joel. And I just want to point these couple of things out as we think about prophecy. It's not on the same level as Old Testament prophecy. It's not on the same level as those that uh, witnessed the, the resurrection. 
And I want to encourage you and say to you that I recognize quite clearly that um, often prophecy in the New Testament, in the church today, that is given is not very helpful. How many of you saw that someone prophesied that yesterday was going to be the end of the world? Did any of you see that this week? September the 23rd would be the end of the world. It's not very helpful. It doesn't build God's body. It doesn't help to give a good reputation to prophecy in the church when you get lunatics like that saying that they've heard from God. It's not helpful. But I have to say to you that I believe in prophecy. I've seen it at work in my own life. I've seen it at work in the life of this church. I've seen my own wife being used amazingly to prophesy and encourage people. It's simply speaking God's word that can have an effect on our future. And I think the, the heart of how we prophesy is that we don't overclaim things. We don't manipulate. We simply speak by faith that which God has given us to speak. That's what the prophetic gift does. And so Paul, when he's saying God, Jesus gave apostles and Jesus gave prophets, I don't think Paul was meaning people that sit in their homes and then launch a prophetic word out onto the internet. If you want to read weird stuff, go and just have a look at some prophecy on the internet. People claiming all sorts of stuff, signs from the heavens, signs of the times, putting dates to stuff. It's weird. Let me just say it outright. It is weird and it's not helpful. I don't think Paul is talking about that. Paul is talking about prophets, those with the prophetic gift, that work alongside apostles who build churches and they speak the word of God. And as they speak out the future over the church and they are in partnership together, apostles working with prophets, something powerful happens and church gets strong. And he's saying that these things help us become mature. So prophets might not teach in an expositional way from the words. That's the work of a teacher. But they, they look at the whole counsel of God and they, they hear from the Holy Spirit and they say, in the light of God's word, what we can see and understand right now, this is what God is saying for this specific season. And we've had a number of key words like that in this church. We had a, a five, seven years ago, a word about sifting, which we went through for, and I didn't know, I thought the season was going to be short. It was quite long. <laughs> and then God spoke to us about restoration uh, three years ago at our 15th birthday. And God has restored and adding, and he's doing a beautiful thing. But the prophetic word comes to tell us what God is on his, what's on his heart. And we need to be hearing by the Holy Spirit. Never, never contrary to the Word of God, never contrary to what is in the Scripture, always though just specifically saying, this is what God has for us right now. Are you with me? And then we, we read here, God gives evangelists, Jesus gives evangelists. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is a preaching gift, and all of these are preaching gifts. Apostle, the apostle is a, is a preaching gift, the, the, the prophet is a preaching gift, the evangelist is a preaching gift. I don't know why, but whenever Mike Pilavachi preaches, people get saved. Have you noticed that? Why? Because that's his gift. It's a grace gift from heaven into his life. And, and when he preaches, people get saved. 
where we're all called to do the work of the evangelist, but some are given an extraordinary ability by the power of the Spirit to see people saved. Isn't that to be celebrated? That's a magnificent thing. What I'm trying to say to you this morning is that the whole church needs all of these gifts. I know I don't have the full package, and it doesn't threaten me. Why? Because God gives gifts, plural, to the church so that the whole church can be built up to maturity. So my prayer is, Jesus, whatever I lack, please bring people to our church that have that gift so we can know the full measure of the fullness of God and all of us can grow into maturity and become like Jesus. Come on. So I celebrate whatever gift I see. I, I want to make room for worship leaders and evangelists and prophets and other teachers. Why? Because they bring something of the, what I don't have. And I have some good stuff and I celebrate that, but I don't have it all. And we don't have to be threatened that we don't have it all. Why? Because God gives us other people to help us. This is why we need each other. This is why he calls his church a body that needs each other. Okay. So then, I just want to say about pastors and teachers, the Greek puts those two ministries together. It doesn't make a distinction. They're closely related, and I just see it like this. Teachers are pastors that are good at exposition. They take the word, and they help you understand it. Pastors spend more time with people than they do uh, necessarily teaching, and for teachers, it's the other way around. They spend more time in the word. Michael Eaton, my friend, our friend, was a great teacher. Great teacher brilliant teacher. Do you think that happened just spontaneously, that God downloaded all that stuff into his brain? <laughs> no, it came from hours and hours and hours and hours of reading and study and reading again and trying again to understand and being challenged and people saying, well, I disagree and going back to the scripture and fi finding what the scripture said and being convinced and bringing it back again. That's what a teacher does. So in summary, these are five preaching gifts that Paul talks about looking back on his life to encourage the Ephesian church, and he says these are given to the church for this reason, to equip, and the word literally there is to perfect the saints. Those gifts are given to the church to perfect the saints, that's you and I, every one of us, for the work of the ministry, for the work of building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And I think it's very important just to make this comment. These are not three parallel phrases that Paul is saying. He's not saying that only the preachers are the ministers. In fact, he's saying the opposite, the complete opposite. And that idea that only the preachers are ministers has seriously damaged the church over hundreds and hundreds of years. No, Paul is saying we are all ministers. I am saying to you this morning that you have a ministry and gift that God has given you that He wants you to exercise. And it's my job as a preacher to try and help unlock that in you and help you see that so that you can do the work of the ministry that God has called you to. Come on. That Paul says that's when the church starts to get strong. When we've got great preachers. No, when we've got great preachers that are equipping ordinary saints to do great things, that's when the church is getting strong. Oh, I've got, a, I've got a big prophetic gift. What does that mean? It means that I get up all the time to prophesy. No, I want to say to you, the, the evidence of a prophetic gift is that it starts to produce the desire to prophesy in everybody else. Yes? What does Moses say? I wish all of the, God's people would prophesy. 
So how do we know that the, the prophetic gift is operating? Yes, they're prophetic words, but it's also releasing ministry in all of the saints. And people are being encouraged and speaking words into each other's lives and encouraging each other. That's the prophetic gift at its best. So what I'm trying to say to you is the Greek makes that clear. It says, for... This gift is, these gifts are given for the perfecting of the saints. And then there's a Greek word, ace, which means into, into the work of the ministry. And that in turn leads us into the building of the body, which leads up into uh, all these things until we are attain the unity of the faith. There's this progression that Paul is speaking about. This is what the gifts are given for. All coming into maturity so that all can build up the body of Christ together. So it simply means these gifts are helping to train people. I want to encourage you, if you haven't started thinking about what your ministry and gift is, let God speak to you about it. Ask Him. Say, God, what are you calling me, me to? How can I be a blessing to your body? How can I be a blessing to your church so that she can come to maturity? I think this is a great, wonderful thought for the long-term future of the church, isn't it? You may notice that we have some young people playing in the worship team. Some as young as 11 are playing in the worship team. Why? Because we are preparing for the future. One day I will not be here. Very soon I will be an old, older person. <laughs> it wasn't, I wouldn't, can't say that, that word wouldn't be polite to say in church. But anyway. But I'm trying to say, okay, well, who, who needs to be here in five years' time? Well, certainly the 13-year-olds are going to be 18 in five years' time, and they're going to be thundering. Come on. And so the role for all of us that are fathers is to say, okay, okay, well, how can we help our children to come through and the young men and the young women with energy to come through so that the future of the church is certain and bright and ongoing and vibrant? Yeah? People are nodding nervously. But I'm telling you it's true what I'm saying. It is true. It's part of the future. Full maturity of the church. I just want to make a comment about maturity here because... Do you notice so many times when you read Paul, he often uses a negative and a positive together. He'll use a negative illustration to, to try and help us understand what he's saying, and then he'll use a positive il illustration to help us understand further what he's saying. And do you notice in this portion here, he does the same thing. He uses a negative view of maturity, and he uses a positive view of maturity. And his, his, his statement is that we are all to grow up into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. And so that means for you and I, there's a lot of change that happens, isn't it? We are continually being changed and transformed. And I just see it very simply. We have some brilliant toddlers in our church that are learning to walk. And um, Micah hangs around our office during the week. Um, and he's a, he's, a, he's a great little guy. But I'm sure Rachel and Bison are hoping that he's not going to stay like that for the rest of his life. Toddling around, you know, being cute, needing his nappy changed. No, they want him to grow a little bit more from being a toddler to being a young child who learns to talk and communicate and engage as, as, as a human being. And then they want their young child to then grow through puberty and become a young adult. And then not to remain a young adult the, 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 their whole lives, but they want, every parent wants the, the young adult to grow into a person that is mature, gets married, or whatever their destiny is for their life, does that, and lives to a ripe old age. We want people to grow into the full measure of what God has for them. 
don't we, as parents? It's the same in the church. That's what Paul is trying to say. He's not being patronizing. He says, he's trying to say, I don't want you to always just be a toddler. I want you to grow into the full measure of Christ as a man and a woman, fully mature, knowing who you are in Him, knowing you, that you're a son and a daughter, knowing what God has called you to do so that you can be someone that brings the church into the fullness that God has for the, the church. And so do you know, the notice, here, here are the two things, and I'm finishing with this, and then we're going to have some worship and, and ministry. Here's the negative view of, of, of maturity that Paul brings. He says, he says so that you're no longer a child tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul is saying that the church goes through stages just like a child growing to maturity. And if you look through the lens of church history, the early church was not mature. And I'm not saying we are now. But if you go and read the Corinthian letter, the, the three letters, Paul wrote three letters to the Corinthians. We've only got two left. But he wrote these letters to try and encourage them into maturity. He said, you know, you've got very gifted guys. That's wonderful. Lots of gifts. But now let's, let's work out that and so you can become a little bit more mature in Christ. Yeah? He wants them to become fully, fully mature. Um, and Paul is saying that these preaching gifts are given so that we don't remain as children in the church. So what, 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 what are some things that children think? Well, when children are three or four, they think the whole universe revolves around them. Have you noticed that? The whole universe revolves around them. Mom, do this for me. Dad, do this for me. And as they grow up a little bit, they begin to realize, oh, the whole universe doesn't revolve around me. And they begin to realize they're not the center. And then what happens? They start to throw tantrums, throw stuff out of the cot. Dad, I want you to do what I want you to do. And I'm going to throw my toys until you do what I want you to do. And that's part of the challenge in parenting, isn't it? You've got, you've got to help people see, help your children see, actually, sometimes when you throw your toys, I'm not going to respond to you. Why? Because I want you to grow up. And so... There's a self-centeredness in us that needs to die. Children are also quite gullible. Have you noticed that? You can trick them quite easily. <laughs> you can deceive them as parents to get them to do what you want. The, uh, what, what, so, you know, if you go to bed tonight, there's a sweetie for you, all that kind of stuff. And they believe you only once. And then they don't believe you anymore. And Paul is saying kindly, he's trying to say, you know, I don't want you to be like that in the church. Don't be self-centered. Don't think the whole world revolves around you because actually, he says in Galatians, part of becoming a, a, a man, in, a woman in Christ is that you begin to bear the burdens of others and you know that you are helping someone else. That's becoming mature. It's not just all about me, my family, my gift. No, there's something God does inside of us that helps us to see we're living for others. That's maturity. When we start living for others, that's what Paul says, Galatians 6. The whole world doesn't revolve around me. We're not gullible. We don't just believe anything. Yeah? We know the Scripture. We know the Word. We know the Gospel. I've said many times, I want to say it again. In this church, we want you to so know the Gospel, the true Gospel, that when you see a false one or you taste a false one, you spit it out of your mouth. That's what Paul says. Any other Gospel except the one that I have preached to you, let the one who's preaching that Gospel be cursed, Paul says. This strong language is trying to get us to see there's the purity of the, of the word that God wants us to keep in our lives so we can grow up, become 
fully mature. So he says we mustn't be like kids. And then he has the positive view. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way who is into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. So he has the positive view. It's not shown in childlike instability. Rather, it's shown in speaking the truth in love. How many of you found that's a really hard thing to do? Speaking the truth in love. It's really hard, isn't it? When you can see something and you know it needs to change, and how do you help that person see that thing needs to change? Well, with great patience and kindness and a soft answer, the Bible says we try and help people see things as the Spirit reveals to them. Are you with me? That's speaking the truth in love. And sometimes that involves boldly standing on what God has shown us even when everyone else disagrees and they're not pleased that we might be saying something. We've got to lovingly stand on God's Word to show His way. And so, for Paul here, maturity is about holding together. It's about unity. It's about the whole body being joined. And I love to just think about it like this. These five preaching gifts that God gives through many different kinds of people are like the sinews and the blood flow and the, the, the joints that hold everything together. And there's this connection that comes into the body so the whole body can start to do really well as we begin to enjoy every gift that God gives to build His church and help it become mature. So, Paul concludes by saying, the greatest growth that we must aim for is that of holiness. The greatest part of that is love. And so, for me, I'm always challenged when I read this um, portion and I, I have to preach this portion because all of us need God's gifts to help us to grow up as mature adults. And in my life, there are still parts of me that are still quite childlike. Have you found that about yourself? You don't, sometimes growth doesn't come equally in all areas of your life. And there's some things that I still struggle with. There's some things probably that you still struggle with. But that shouldn't discourage us. That should encourage us that God is giving other people into our lives to help us see our blind spots, those things that still need to become more Christ-like, to help each other, not in a condemning way, but in a gracious, graceful way linking arms together, saying, I'm with you. I'm not going to just bomb on you and leave you. No, I'm with you. I love you. I'm linking arms in arms. We, we, we're going to do this together. We're a band of brothers. We're on a long-term life mission of learning about Jesus together. I'm not going to leave you just because you're wounded in this area. I'm not going to drop you. Yes? This is how we help each other in the church. Lovingly, kindly, over a long period of time, together, taking us helping to take each other forward. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, we all need grace for this, yeah? And I want to say the fact that you are here this morning is a brilliant and a thrilling thing, that the grace of God has touched your life and you've begun this journey. You're on this journey with Jesus. Isn't that cool? All of us are on the same journey. We, we might be going slightly you know, our paths might be going like this, but we're all on the same journey together. God has called us. He's touched us. He's, he's saved us. He's taken us out of darkness into His glorious kingdom. And now He's inviting us on this journey to become more and more like Him. And so I want to encourage you, no matter where you feel you are, press on. Let God take you 
change you by His Word. Let God change you in the ministry of when we worship, that the presence of God changes you from the inside. Don't be tossed this way and that by every wind of doctrine. I love what Tim Keller says about the gospel, about this amazing message that Jesus has given us to proclaim. He says this, and I love the second half of this quote. He says, the gospel, if it's really believed, it removes our neediness, the need to be constantly respected, constantly appreciated, well-regarded, the need to have everything in my life go well, the need to have power over other people, all of these great and deep needs continue to control you only because the concept of the glorious God delighting in you with all of His being is just that. It's a concept, nothing more. Paul says, if we really want to change, we have to let the gospel reach us, train us, discipline us, coach us over a period of time. You must let the gospel argue with you. I love that part. Yeah, the gospel argues with us. Eh? It says, no, that thing is going to change, and I'm going to help you to see how that needs to change. It argues with us. It doesn't let us go. The gospel argues with us. You must let the gospel sink down deeply into your heart until it changes your motivation, your views, your attitude, your life. That's the power of the gospel. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life, in my life, that we grow, no longer just stay young adults, or we grow to become mature, all of us. So why? So the whole church grows into the fullness of the full measure of Christ Jesus. Every one of us, includes you, includes me, young, old, all of us together. Why? So the kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven.